Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. Ten powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person, my dad. My dad was the greatest encourager that I ever knew. And I want to tell you about him in this book, the things that my dad taught me, stories about his life, stories from my own life, and other relative connecting principles. You can go to Amazon.com and get it in paperback or Kindle. And now, here's another great episode of the Intentional Encourager podcast coming right now. Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now, here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have got a guy that that I have followed for a little while on LinkedIn. And he is a former executive operator turned solopreneur tinkerer. Now, we're going to get into that. We're going we're, we're gonna to dive all up into that, as the kids say, with Justin Welsh. And you can, you can find him on LinkedIn at Justin Welsh, W-E-L-S-H. Um, you can also connect with him at the official Justin.com. You know, you know, man, that's the thing is I would have thought the official Justin would have been followed by a guy named Timberlake, not yeah. Justin Welsh. But man, it's good to have you here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Great to be on. Thanks so much uh, for having me. I appreciate it. Good to, good to be connected. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How did you grab that that uh, domain name, man? That's pretty cool because, uh, again, you know, JT, I would think, would have a, a, a lockdown on a lot of that stuff, man. But but very cool of you to grab that domain name. Yeah, it's interesting. I originally um, – I wanted to grab justinwelsh.com, but there is a Canadian opera singer named Justin Welsh who owns that. And so the next thing I did was grab Justin D. Welsh, which is my middle name. But the problem is D sounds like B in Welsh, people think is with an H. So every time I was on a podcast, I had to say Justin D Welsh. That's Justin D is in David Welsh with an S.com. And that became really challenging. So I was just poking around trying to figure out other, you know, URLs I might be able to snatch up and uh, found the official Justin. So that's the story. Hey, I was noticing you on your LinkedIn profile and forgive me if I, if I, if I mess this up. But I was looking on your LinkedIn profile, and you've got an icon of a certain school about three hours to the north of me in Columbus, Ohio. Ew. You know, it, it starts with the and ends with university, and there's Ohio State in the middle. Yeah, I'm about three. I'm about three hours from Columbus. Um, it, let's let's start here for a minute. This whole COVID nineteen thing has messed and fouled up a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever dream in your wildest dreams that Ohio State and Michigan would not have been played in 102 years? I, I'm I'm dumbfounded by that. I I saw that on Saturday as I was watching um, the Fox uh, noon kickoff as we as we record this. Did you ever think as an Ohio State fan that that game would not ever happen in a season? No, it was really disappointing. Um... You know, I had been looking forward to it, and the season was cut short already. So um, when I, you know, I think they announced it literally the day or maybe two days before the game, and I was really jazzed up to, to watch it. So that was disappointing. Um, 
it's just, it figures, you know, 2020 has been that type of year where things that are as, as established as that game, which has been going on for hundred, you know, over a hundred years, it, of course, it, it also claimed that game this year. And so, I don't know, I think when 2021 rolls around, we'll just be really appreciative of a lot of the things that we, we got to, we, we had to miss this year. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to the game next year. I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing uh, wraps up anyways, because we're still, uh, we're still up there. <laughs> Well, yeah, as as we record this podcast, you've got Alabama, you've got Clemson, Notre Dame, and Ohio State are, are the four teams in the playoff right now. Mm-hmm. And, and Justin, for a lot of people, and you you know this obviously having having followed the Buckeyes and things like that, there's no professional football team in that central Ohio area. And people will argue between the Browns and the Bengals, there's really not a professional football team in the state of Ohio. Of course, the Browns are doing well this year, and my Bengals are just, you know, another nosedive season. But how is it for folks that don't understand the rabid passion that Ohio State fans have? How would you adequately describe that? Because I know what it's like, you know, growing up in Southern Ohio, being around a lot of Buckeye fans and things like Mm -hmm. that, even being 15 minutes away from Marshall University where I went to school. But how do you sub- describe the rabid passion that Buckeye fans have all over the country? Yeah, I mean, we're just, we're intense, right? And I think that part of that comes from the fact that a lot of folks um, who grow up in Cleveland, um, Cincinnati, Columbus, they end up in other cities. I know that happens all over the place, but I tell you, you come to Nashville, where I live right now, and you see so many Ohio license plates. You go to New York, I met so many folks from Ohio. I lived in LA, so many people from Ohio. And I think that what they're looking for is sort of like a grounding stake, something to remember about where they came from. And I think that they grew up with Buckeye lore, and that's the thing that you know is, is the commonality amongst all Ohioans as they leave the state of Ohio and go to other cities and other states. That kind of keeps them grounded. It reminds them of their Midwest roots. It's a very Midwest thing. And so, um, I don't know. I've, I've always appreciated it. 2004, my Marshall University Thundering Herd are on the verge of an upset in the horseshoe. We're up, we're up 20. We're, we're up, we were up in the game. Mike Nugent comes in and kicks a field goal to tie it. Four seconds left and a 55-yarder. And here comes Nugent trotting out on the field again. And son of a gun, if he didn't bury one from the left hash mark from 55 yards out to beat my my Marshall team. And I'm like, this guy's a stud. I mean, you kick one from 55 on grass. With no time left, from, and that's a that's a tough hash mark to kick from, anyways. That left hash mark, because of, of the the width of the pro goal post. I mean, it's it's hard. It's it's really hard. And Nugent just kicks one right down the middle, and and uh, it's amazing. And I, and I wanted to ask you about that because again, I, you know, where sports is such a big part of people's lives. And, and it's really, you know, and that's something that, that's kind of been pulled back and throttled back. You and I were talking before we started recording that a lot of that stuff has been throttled back this year and things like that. And so, um, yeah, and did you grow up in, in Ohio? How did you become an Ohio State fan? I did. I, <clears throat> I'm from Cleveland. Um, 
I was born in Cleveland Heights, uh, University Heights, Ohio area, which is like downtown Cleveland, sort of yeah. like 15, 15, 20 minutes outside of downtown, not, not, not really downtown. Um, and when I was 10, I, uh, my folks moved to a small um, rural community uh, called Chesterland, Ohio. I lived in Novelty. Um, and so I'm from a community of like 4,000 people um, in Northeastern Ohio. And, you know, to be honest, um, I wasn't a very good student in high school. Um, I was always in the accelerated classes and, um, but I just didn't, I, I wasn't a good student. And um, when I graduated, I graduated in the bottom 50% of my, my high school class and I wanted to go to Xavier. Um, and I just, I couldn't get in. And really at that time, like Ohio State, it's a great school now. It, it was not as good of, of an academic school back then when I got in. And so that was like my option. And so I only applied to two schools, Xavier and Ohio State, and I only got into one of them. So um, that's where, what <laughs> led me to Ohio State. And you just naturally become a fan when you're there. Well, and, and again, to Columbus and, 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 and Ohio in that area, first of all, Mad respect. I, I spent quite a bit of time in Northeast Ohio working in that area. That is an area where people value hard work. Mm -hmm. they, they, they cherish hard work. It, it's ingrained in them from, from, from really from birth all the way through. Let me ask you this. Your upbringing, mm -hmm. what has it taught you? What has your upbringing taught you that you you've have, have applied precisely to what you're doing now with with around the midst of the pandemic and doing some of the stuff you're doing with your company what did you learn as a kid that, that translated to what you're doing now <clears throat> yeah I think um you know it's interesting if I look back at my upbringing my my parents are very hard workers so my dad comes from a very poor family and um, he's been working, he worked in the steel mill, he built bridges, and then he eventually graduated college and he became a salesperson for a pharmaceutical company. And he worked for over 40 years for the same company. And my mom owned a small business. She's a dance instructor. And um, they just worked really hard. The, the thing that's, I guess, strange, maybe not that strange, but when I was growing up, I did not work very hard. I had a job. I worked at fast food restaurants. I, did, I got a job the day I turned 14. Um, I worked a little bit in school, not, not a tremendous, but I was very lazy. And um, I think what, what happened is as I matured and got a bit older, um, some of those characteristics of my parents started to come out in me. And I start to see them now more that I'm approaching 40, where I have the, the work ethic and intensity of my dad. I have the like focus and energy of my mom. And, um, you know, I have the money saving of my dad. And, and I see a lot of the stuff that's like, I didn't recognize in myself when I was younger I see that coming out now. And it's just interesting to watch it happen. And so um, I, I would consider myself to be, and I think my wife would probably agree somewhat of a workaholic, which is not what, who I want to be. Um, and I get that from, I think my, my folks. And so I, I can, I can thank them for that. I can totally empathize because when my dad passed away eight years ago, all the things that I was trying not to be like him, it was like God said, okay, big boy, here you go, and just dumped everything in my lap. So I have mannerisms that my dad used and, and ways of speaking that he did. And I'm like, my God, I, I, I was trying to run from this all my life, and now here it just manifests itself. So as you were saying that, man, I totally could empathize with you. You mentioned something 
you mentioned 80 hour work weeks and things like that. We'll get into that in a minute in building your company. Mm-hmm. Did you see that you, you mentioned your mom ran a dance studio, was a dance mm-hmm. instructor. Your dad mm-hmm. was in sales and pharmaceuticals and, and worked quite a bit. Do you think that that came out in you? you Cause you mentioned just a moment ago, some of those characteristics and things like that. When you were starting to build your company, did you just call on those, those experiences and go, well, I guess this is what I have to do. Not really what I want to do. Um, sort of, I would say it's, it's been sort of an interesting path. Um, I'll add some context to how I think those, those things apply. So when I graduated college, I got a sales job like my dad. And I thought that being a salesman, being a people person, I, I found out that that's not quite what it is. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of process and science. And I failed pretty miserably for about six years at that. Uh, I got fired for my first three jobs. I don't think I ever hit a quota or made a sale. Um, and so that was really frustrating. And in 2009, I got linked up with a company, a really early stage startup in New York City called ZocDoc. And I met these really incredible people. They had this amazing product. The city had this energy. It was just like everything that I wanted in a job. And I got the job. And the last 11 years of my career have been you know, uh, successful. And when I went to start my own business, it's definitely in me from my folks I think the last 11 years of having success in these really fast growing startups has given me just this, I guess, obsession. I guess there's no better word than, than that um, for, for continuing to create value in the universe and to continue yeah. to build interesting and creative things. And so um, I think it's a combination of my experience uh, over the last 10 or 11 years and what is just intrinsically me built into me from my parents. Well, you mentioned process and things like that, and I'm always intrigued by that. And 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 my background, I, I was similar to you. I I started right out of college in in the sales. My dad told me the the first piece of advice. In fact, I wrote about it in my new book, People Buy from People. That's what my dad told me. My dad was a salesperson for a long time as well, like your father, over 40 years. And my dad told me people buy from people. But what really clicked for me was when I found out people buy consistency. When I became consistent in doing the same things over and over and people could trust and, and, and know that what I was going to do today, I was going to do tomorrow and our, our company delivered great products and great service. That's when it kind of took off for me. When you get to New York and you, you land in that first job, what was that aha moment for you? Do you remember kind of that aha yeah. moment where it was like, this is what it's really all about? I do. Um, the aha moment was on my very first day of work. It was December 7th, 2009 uh, at ZocDoc. And I had just come from massive failure for the last six years. I had never made a sale. I was not good at what I did. And I also didn't really care, to be honest. I was like young. I was immature. Um, I had a lot of growing up to do. Hey, Justin, and, uh, let me park on that just a minute. I don't sure. mean to interrupt you, but let me park on that just a minute. I, I think that's really critical what you said there about I, I just didn't care mm-hmm. it, it, let me let me kind of pivot here for just a minute and we'll go back to what you were talking about but but I, I ask this question sometimes because I think about it myself what would Justin now how would Justin now coach Justin of 2009 yeah I would teach I would teach 28 year old Justin about compound interest and saving for <laughs> retirement 
and um that's and brilliant would, man that's and, I, brilliant. and i would i would teach myself that um you know being successful helps <laughs> helps make money and save money and um you know kind of kick my butt into gear um but i would also i would also just talk about I would talk a little bit about life, right? So recently I've had a, a very good friend in a, in a pretty tragic accident. I recently lost a, a really good friend and I would probably share some of those things and um, really get myself focused on living a really good long-term life. And I think that would be the first thing that I would share with myself. And um, the younger 28 year old me probably wouldn't want to hear that, uh, but I would at least try and impart that, that wisdom. <laughs> Well, and, and I mentioned that because you said, you, you, you just said, you're like, man, I got to that first job and I really didn't care because of how things went and things like that. And I always think back and I think, okay, if, if I could go back and talk to 28 year old me when right before I had the best sales year of my life in 2001, and I would say, okay, what would 48 year old me tell 28 year old me? And I would probably say, dude, get consistent, get consistent and, and, and make your competition understand who you are instead of the other way around. And that's why I asked you that question of how would you go back and talk to your younger self? Because I, I think a lot of people come into sales and they go, well, here's how it's going to be. I'm going to get my first sales job and I'm going to make all this money and I'm going to rock it out and I'm going to do this and that. And, they, and they've got they've got champagne wishes and caviar dreams, but not realizing that sales is hard. It's not easy. It's not easy to, you, you don't just walk in. You, you're not LeBron. You don't walk in and, and start, you know, start scoring 25 a night. It takes time. It takes abilities. It takes talents and things like that. So you go to that moment in 2009, when you get to New York mm -hmm. and you have your aha moment. Mm -hmm. What came from that for you that really propelled you to that next level? Yeah, the aha moment was my first day of work. I made a sale and I had not made a sale before. I had gone six years making zero sales. And so um, I went out my very first day with my boss and made a sale. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. Like I can actually do this job. Like I know I can do this. And what was on the other side of that confidence was like this very much untapped potential. And so I went from being a guy who didn't care a whole lot and who didn't work very hard to making a sale on my first day of work. And then it's almost like a light switch. The next day, I, I wanted to be the best at this company. Like I wanted to be the best salesperson. And so I made a very simple switch. And the simple switch that I made was investing in myself. So I spend a lot of time reading. I spent a lot of time listening. I spent a lot of time asking questions. I spent a lot of time with people who are really excellent at sales. And I just consumed as much knowledge as I could get. And I consider that an investment, an investment of my time. And as I got better and better, and as things became more widely available, as the internet grew and things like that, I made more investments. I purchased information. Yeah. I bought, I hired coaches. I, I always feel like if I've got a dollar, the highest return on investment I can get is investing into myself. And so I do a lot of that. And that has helped propel myself and my business over the last many years.
Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Justin, was there was there a particular hurdle that that you that you, you know, you, you, you flip that light switch and it is, it's intoxicating when you sell something and you create enough value that someone wants what you have and you make that connection that way, it's intoxicating. It really is. It, it is, it is a drug for which there, there, there's no high like it. And I've, I've never done drugs or anything like that, but I can't think of anything else like it because it's just magical. It's just, it's incredible in that moment. When you start consuming content and you start building yourself and investing in yourself, was there a moment you kind of plateaued and you had to, to push through and dig and go past where you were at to get to that next step that you wanted to get to? Yeah, I would say that, you know, um, I plateaued because all of the things that I all of the skills and qualities that I had that led to a successful career also led to burnout, to be honest. Like I work very hard. I'm, I'm very much a control freak. I have, um, I, I like to control everything. And um, I'm sure if you talk to folks that work with me and know me, they would describe me in a very similar way. And so um, those sort of qualities lead to um, burnout. And that's what happened to me in 2018. Um, I had been an executive at a business for three years. Um, we were growing very rapidly. I had joined, you know, as the, as the VP of sales in 2015 with no revenue. And we, we had crossed probably 30 or 35 million in revenue by the time I was there for three years. And I started to burn out because I was creating, I was investing, I was coaching, managing, building. Like I, I, I think I was working 15 to 18 hour days every day. And I did that for a long time and everything sort of came crashing down. Um, physically, I got really out of shape. Mentally, I got really out of shape. My relationship suffered. Um, 2018 was a, a tough, a tough year. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking as you were talking about that. And, and we talked a few minutes ago about being an Ohio State fan. And of course, a few years ago, Ohio State fans watched Urban Meyer very, very successful, highly successful head football coach at Ohio State and the University of Florida, Utah, been at several places. Urban Meyer gets to the point where his health is affected. And his wife says, you've got to step back and you've got to, you've got, and, and, and Urban Meyer grows up, as you know, Justin, he, he grew up in Ashtabula, Ohio, really, really 
pretty close to where you grew up in Northeast mm-hmm. Ohio. Mm-hmm. And it, he said it had been his dream to be the head coach at Ohio State. All of his life, he was working for that moment. And he has to give it up because he worked so hard. It affected his health. Mm-hmm. What was that moment like for you? Do you remember that moment? Can you take me back <laughs> to that moment where you had to look in the mirror or somebody had an intervention with you and, and you had that, that what, what we would call here in West Virginia, we call that a come to Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that moment? Take me through that, that moment do. in your life. I do. Um, on December 17th of 2018, uh, I had a massive panic attack. So uh, <clears throat> it was in the morning and my wife and I were going to get some lunch and uh, I had a lot of anxiety and I started to not be able to feel my fingers. My fingers were tingling and that somehow spiraled into an all out massive panic attack. Did where, you think it was something physical? Did, did you think well, you were I, having a heart attack or something oh, like yeah. that? Oh, I thought it was dying. Oh yeah, hundred percent thought I was dying, and um, you know, screaming, hallucinating. Um, it was a really bad day, and we had to call nine one one. The the paramedics had to come out and uh, you know basically get me in the right <laughs> state of mind, and um, that was sort of the like, the last like uh, straw. You know, that was uh, that was the thing that really suggested that the burnout had gotten really bad and I didn't I didn't walk away from my job right then I I got healthier and um but ultimately nine months later I ended up leaving my role do you think it was the overconsumption, the drive to overconsume, that fed into that because the reason I asked that Justin is you mentioned earlier that you were consumed with with building yourself, building your not. And as you build a team, you also get consumed with those things. How do we hire better? How do we coach better? How do we move the ball down the field? Again, it's it's like a college football coach at that mm-hmm. high, high level of how do we continue to stay on top when we're already here? I can mm-hmm. I would have to think a guy like, and we we were just talking about Urban Meyer. I can see where Urban Meyer, because he's that has that control mechanism inside of him, and the pressure cooker of being the head coach at Ohio State, where expectations are always national championship or bust, just weighs on you and weighs on you and weighs on you. When you were able to step aside from that and get yourself healthier, what was the first change that you made to your physical well-being or your mental well-being that started you getting on the road to recovery? Yeah, the, the first thing that I did was I stopped consuming alcohol for a long period of time. Um, that was really key in terms of getting both my, because when, when I was burning out, I was numbing a lot of that burnout with alcohol. And so I stopped consuming alcohol for uh, about a little less than 90 days, lost a ton of weight, lost like 30 pounds. Um, I started taking walks with my wife. My wife and I walked back then 10 miles a day, we did 3.33 miles in the morning, in the afternoon and in the evening. Now we do about six or seven um, each day. And so I walked, um, I, re- I cut down on alcohol. And the other thing that I did was just reduce, I tried my hardest to reduce time on electronics and something I still struggle with. I'm 
on the computer very often, um, you know, to the point where it hurts my eyes sometimes. So uh, I'm, I tried to make those changes and making those changes was really helpful. And then I think maybe one last one was I, I got distracted. So I spent time reading fiction. Usually like I'm the kind of guy where if you're gonna, first of all, I don't relax ever. So I don't, I don't sit on the couch and relax. Like that's just not who I am. And if you were to give me a book and I'm gonna spend time reading something, it's normally for me to learn something. I wanna learn about business, I wanna learn about creating something. So I just made a commitment to read some fiction. And that was actually really great for my mind. It took my mind off work. You know, it was a, kind of a break, right? And so those are some things that, that worked really well for me. Yeah, I can't imagine reading something like Tom Sawyer or something like that and going, man, how could I coach up this guy? How can I make <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. it? Dude, you mentioned your wife, mm -hmm. the importance of your wife through, through mm -hmm. this whole thing. Talk about her her role in helping you get better and get back to where a normal, healthy state of mind and body were for you. Because you you mentioned that you guys walk ten miles a day, man. My 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 proverbial hats off to you. <laughs> but I but I heard there when you were talking about that, Justin. I heard the importance of your wife. T tell me about that and her role in your recovery. Yeah, she's. Um... I mean, she's the number one support system that I have. And my wife and I have been together for, uh, we're going on 10 years. And we met at my at one of my businesses, ZocDoc, um, that we worked at together. And, you know, she will, she will put her, her own priorities aside um, to support me when necessary. And so I, I greatly appreciate that. I don't want to put her in that position um, and that no one wants to put their, their wife or, or partner in that position. Um, <clears throat> but she, she's a listener, uh, which I really appreciate. Sometimes I can just talk, like I'll just talk for, you know, an hour at her uh, when my brain's firing a little bit too fast or um, when I'm feeling a little uh, down, that, that's generally how I act. And so it's just really nice to have a support system, right? I know that I have people that I know whose spouses are not supportive and I just can't imagine being in that particular environment, you know, that just wouldn't work for me. And so she's, she's very supportive. Your wife is the same. My wife would, I would start talking for about 10 minutes and my wife would just tune me out. Like, look, you have a podcast, you, you do radio and stuff like that. I hear you talking enough, you know, it's, it, you know, so but there's no danger of my wife listening to the Intentional Encourager podcast. She's like, nah, I get it every night. Don't, don't worry about that. You know, Justin, it, it's funny, man, because I, I know people are walking that road because everybody has tried to out-hustle or out-maneuver or out-strategize affections to their business through COVID-19. Every business has, has had to rethink their position or, or redo things like that. Was there one lesson that you took from that moment where you burned out and things like that and, and, and you were able to apply it to this situation? Because for some business owners, and, th and this is why I frame the question this way, they may not have had a burnout moment like you had. Maybe COVID-19 was that moment in their business where they had that panic attack. They had that 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 catastrophic event or or cat you know it, it, it yeah a catastrophic event like you i would totally classify what you had was a catastrophic event 
Was there something you took from that that you can say, this is what I learned that's helped me navigate going forward through this? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the very simple and easy lesson is that <clears throat> there aren't a whole lot of options. Either you continue, I continue, like if COVID-19 hit and it would have impacted my business, it, it did not, which is interesting. And, but um, if it would have, I have two choices. One choice is to panic and put myself into a similar scenario as I described before, or the other, the other option is to, to not panic and to believe that things will be okay and to put good energy and content and creativity out into the world, do interesting things, attract interesting people. And um, knowing that I never wanna be in that situation again makes that choice very easy. You know, they say you have to hit rock bottom sometimes before you can kind of bounce back up. And I would say that that was very much in, in 2018, a rock bottom moment for me. And so I just think about that moment when, when I stress out and I stress out all the time. Like I am by no means, um, you know, healed from that. Um, but, you know, I, I make sure that I have someone to talk to. So if I'm not talking to my wife, I'm, you know, I talk to a therapist. If I'm not talking to my therapist, I talk to my family, right? I, there's, there's always someone who I can, I can lean on to, to help me navigate situations of high anxiety. You know, it's, it's, and I'm sitting here writing some things down as we talk and you'll see this on video, but you know, I, I think that is so important is, is sometimes you just need to verbalize frustration even if it's just talking to somebody because internalizing those frustrations is not healthy. It's not good for you. And it, it will eat at you. Here's where I want to go for just a minute because you and I are, are sales guys at heart in your mind. What's the number one reason that good salespeople end up failing because it, you know, we, we know that, that this pandemic, and, and I ask this question this way, there comes a point in time where, it, where even good salespeople who have had a modicum of success will hit the wall. Mm -hmm. In your career in, in, in coaching and, and mentoring and developing salespeople, what's that reason where those good salespeople just kind of fail and they hit the wall? Yeah, <clears throat> I would say the reason that most salespeople fail is because they're, they already believe they're good when they're not. That is the, the reason that most salespeople fail. They think they're great because sales is an, is, a, is an ego game. And what they don't realize is it changes every year. Customers get access to more information. You have to work harder. You have to change. You have to iterate constantly. And so if you're just doing the same thing you've been doing for your whole career, that generally doesn't work. That's why most people fail. Why, why good salespeople fail? is because they're, they're at a company or representing a product that they don't enjoy. I've heard people talk about, you can sell a product you don't believe in or don't enjoy. You can, definitely. It is not a good strategy for long-term success. So what I mean by that is I've sold a bunch of different things. And when I truly love the product, love the solution, love the people that I'm helping, I like taking my customers from point A, which is failing to point B, which is being yeah. very successful. Um, that, that keeps you going. It's hard to hit a wall when, when your work is impacting someone else in a really positive way. To give you an example, my last business, Patient Pop, we sold 
in marketing solutions to, to private practice physicians. Private practice physicians are struggling. I mean, they're not struggling in the, in the sense that other folks are struggling, but their businesses are much more challenging than they used to be. And so when their revenue is decreasing and their you know, costs are increasing, you know, it was awesome to help them add another zero onto their revenue, right? Yeah. To tr triple what they're doing. That, that made me feel great all the time. And so I, I always recommend that like, don't, don't optimize for salary. Don't optimize for a $5,000 higher bonus. Optimize for like the people, the product, the learning that will keep you going. Yeah. And I love what you said there. And I was thinking as you were giving that answer, I thought, okay, in my career, what were those times that, that I experienced failure with a customer? And I realized two things. One, I didn't have my finger on the pulse. I was just assuming, to your point, and very brilliantly said, that everything was going good, things were rolling smoothly, life was good. I, you know, was like, okay, well, my customers continuing to buy, so things must be good. Not realizing that my competitor was coming in behind me, going, yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? Really talking to th to them about things that mattered. And then the second thing that, that I had to do was start talking about things that mattered, having mm -hmm. something every time that I interacted with that customer that helped them and their business get better, something of value, one thing. And, and, and Justin, that's the thing, and I love what you said there, what reminded me of that, is a salesperson doesn't have to talk for an hour to give their, their customer tremendous value. They can say one thing in about three to five minutes and their customer can have that V8 moment and go, wow, thank you. Mm -hmm. And they've just added tremendous value to that customer. And customers don't fire salespeople that continue to add value to them. That's right. They just don't fire them because they're too indispensable. And I can remember in my career giving customers in the restaurant business ideas that made them thousands of dollars. All of a sudden my price didn't matter. Because I had made them money. And I love what you, I had to piggyback off of that, off of what you yeah. said, because that is so good. I, I want to ask you, as, as, and I mean, you've been so gracious with your time. Sure. This is the Intentional Encourager podcast. I want you to give your biggest piece of intentional encouragement out there to a leader, to a business owner, to a salesperson, somebody that's listening to our conversation today. And, and man, this has been so good. You went right away to, to where we normally go in the podcast later and telling your story. And I love it, man. Thank you for just taking the bull by the horns and running with it. But leave the folks today with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Yeah. I mean, I would say my biggest piece of intentional encouragement, it's going to sound a lot like something that Gary Vaynerchuk would say, right? But it's like, what other option do you have right now, right? I think that today people are struggling and if they continue to do the same thing all the time, they're going to continue to struggle. So what I would suggest is tomorrow, get creative, find something interesting, try something unique, do something different than what you've normally done across the course of your career and take action. What I see so many folks doing, especially online is consuming, 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 and they wanna create, but they're afraid. And so what I would say is tomorrow, wipe that fear away and get started. If you get started putting out good and interesting things into the world, 
you will attract good and interesting people. And when you attract interesting people into your circle, the door to unique and amazing opportunities unlocks naturally. So we're all trapped at home, right? We've all got a little extra time. What I would do is start putting that, that positive energy and those interesting things out into the universe and watch your tribe, your network grow, and then watch your unique opportunities open up. To me, that was my whole mantra for 2020, and it proved to be right. Well, that, that, suits, that fits perfectly with what we do here because, again, we try to be very intentional in telling the right stories and doing the right things. And Justin Welsh, man, you have brought it today. I so appreciate your time. Tell folks how they can get connected with you and find your resources and, and, sure. and uh, get connected with you. Totally. Um, there's a couple of different ways. They can follow me on LinkedIn. It's Justin Welsh, W-E-L-S-H. They can follow me on Twitter. It's Justin Sass, Justin S-A-A-S. Or they can go to my, my personal website, which is just justinwelsh.me. Justin Welsh, man, this has been so good. I have so appreciated your time. And we've been trying to get together for a few weeks now to record this. And I, I'm so grateful Justin carved the time out. Justin, man, thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. It was great uh, to be on. Thanks so much for having me, man. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.